we become addicted to safety and security and comfort and it, and, and, and we keep overwhelmingly concerned with things like liability and they keep us from doing what's right and caring about what's important. And, and, and it's, it's baffling, but we're, we're, we're lost in it. Hi, I'm John Dangler and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we prove every single Wednesday there is still good people doing good stuff for this good world of ours. Wait, there are still good people doing good stuff for this good world of ours. Good grammar, that counts. You can do some good stuff by following us on social media. On Instagram, we are at World Gone Good Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at World Gone Good with the number one at the end. So it's at World Gone Good One. Give us a follow; we will follow you back. And if you need a refresher in all the good there is to be had, look no further than WorldGoneGoodPodcast.com. That's the website, the good website created and run by my good pal Lisa, where all our good episodes and more await. So way back in the year of 2008, I trained and I rode the California AIDS Life Cycle, a 545-mile bike ride, bike ride, bicycle ride from San Francisco all the way down to Los Angeles. This seven-day journey where we averaged about 80 miles a day on our bikes remains one of my favorite adventures I've ever had done, taken part in, just been a part of. So I appreciate other riders and pretty much anything to do with biking. And that's why I can appreciate today's guest. John Dengler is the owner of Well-Built Bikes. He has three goals. First, needs met. He believes the most basic and concrete way to love our neighbors is to look out for them and make sure that they have what they need. Second, Bridges Built. He believes we should meet needs in ways that give us opportunities to build relationships where we meet one another's deeper social, psychological, and spiritual needs as well. And thirdly, a city made whole. John lives in Tampa, Florida and feels it can be a well-built city that that vision is worth investing in with the goal of fully realizing community and community development. Three big goals and three good things to talk about and a lot more. This is John's Good Journey. John Dengler, it is very funny how we are uh, brought together because my producer, Lisa, lives in Tampa. Lisa in 94, 95 shows has never, she has failed. She has never offered up any creative. (laughs) (laughs) She's going to kill me when she hears this. But she's like, yeah, she totally texts me. She's like, there's this guy and he's got these bikes and he gives it, he he does this whole great thing with bikes. He gives bikes away and you got to meet this guy. You got to talk to this guy. I'm like, all right, where's this guy? And she got really quiet and she's like, Tampa. And I'm like, so was it you're like your neighbor? <laughs> We're neighbors. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so here you are, John Dangler. You are from Well Built Bikes of Tampa. Yep, yep. Have you lived in Tampa your whole life? 
Uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, not really. I got here when I was nine. So everything that matters, you know, we moved around a lot before that when we were younger. Tampa is on the east. No, Tampa's on the west side of the coast, right? It's on the bay. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. that's right. So you're, you're kind of hurricane proof, even though a couple of years ago, there was one hurricane I remember that came through there. You know, it does seem that way. Oddly, like how many years I've like gone out and chained a grill to the tree and thought it was going to be awesome. And then it was just beautiful weather. And uh, yeah, that is the case. So tell us about well-built bikes of Tampa. First of all, where did the name come from? Well, the, so the nonprofit, um, the parent organization is actually called The Well. And the well, um, we were working for years. I mean, we work with a lot of folks on the streets, um, people with food insecurity, people that lack steady employment, steady housing. Um, and we ran a daytime drop-in center for years um, where people could come and just get in off the streets. You know, there's a very large homeless population in Tampa. And so it's good to just have a place to get out of the sun, take a shower. We had a little free market for people to get groceries. We did little, you know, whatever food. And at that location, um, outside, you know, I had these convictions around work, like, man, you need to be working even if you're not employed. So you don't have work, you don't have food. Let's go work together in the yard and grow food. Um, people don't have transportation needs met. So it was like, all right, well, let's work together and put some bikes together. And we got a bunch of broken bikes donated. And, uh, they, I, initially we called it the recycle bin, uh, had a shipping container behind the drop-in center full of broken bikes, some tools, and if you needed transportation, I'd be like, go figure it out. I'm sure you could piece something together and meet your own transportation needs. And we did that for several years. We saw probably close to a thousand bikes go out over about a three-year period there. And um, this old man came by one day and he's like, oh, the well is building bikes. So they're like, well built, get it? Huh? And I And I remember thinking like, oh, I'm definitely not calling it that. Um, super, <laughs> super, super cheesy. And then- What's weird is the same joke echoed a few times and next thing you know, uh, it stuck and then we embraced it. And then I was like, actually, this is a pretty good brand. And, um, and so, yeah, here we are today where our storefronts on its fifth year open in a retail storefront in uh, university mall, right next to the university of South Florida here in Tampa. Um, we are a nonprofit bike shop. We sell refurbished bikes at affordable prices. We do sell some lower price point new bikes as well. Um, and then we take all, and then a full service repair shop. And then all the service and sales revenue goes into an earn a bike program. So people that do not have money can also gain ownership of a bicycle means of a reliable means of transportation by investing community service hours to earn their bike. Uh, and then they get a bike lights, lock helmet, kind of everything they need to be set up as commuters. And then we also do sliding scale repairs. So folks that have bicycles, but maybe can't afford all the repairs they need. We just, it's kind of a pay what you can model. Like we, we have repair prices that we give people, but when they go, Ooh, I can't do that. We go, well, what can you do? And then we make the price that. Okay. Wait, let's go back for a second here because I want everybody to know that recycle, uh, the recycle bin is R E dash cycle because it's a bicycle. So it's not like a recycle. It's a recyclable, right? But it's also recycle, which I think is clever as well because I'm in marketing. So I give you the props on that. Yeah, it was in, into the puns a little bit. There's nothing wrong with puns. Puns is like, <laughs> I sell puns day and left and right. I make the worst puns and I have cl clients who are like, that's amazing. I'm like, oh God, here, just here's the invoice. There you go. Here's something. So you looked at the transportation situation in Tampa and you weren't happy with it. 
and you made a solution. I mean, does that assess you? I don't want to like, I don't want to get you in trouble with like Tampa. Like I always joke with Lisa about like, you know, is there like a a king of Tampa? I don't know. No, I would say, (laughs) no, I'm not worried about trouble with anybody, but like, I would say that, uh, it, the transportation system here sucks, but that's almost beside. So really what happened is I just committed to hang out with and befriend and learn from folks on the streets. Like I was like, I am here as friend, student mentor, or like to, they, they could mentor me. And, um, and people that had bicycles could meet a lot of their own more basic needs. And what, what you can discover there is like, you see a lot of concrete needs. People need food, they need clothes, they need, you know, whatever. And, but underlying that concrete immediate need is a deeper issue, like a lack of access or a lack of ownership. And what I witnessed was, you know, the couple people, the couple folks that had bikes, it was a game changer. I mean, like a night and day difference on what they were able to get to. Um, and, and I have come to understand poverty as the opposite of poverty, I would say is freedom um, and not money, but freedom. And, and a bicycle for many of us means freedom. I'm free to ride this where I want to go to do whatever I need to do. And people were able to get to other resources, get to job opportunities, to visit family, to sell water bottles, to get water bottles, like to whatever it was that they needed to do. And it was like, oh, this is fundam- a fundamental way to address the issue of freedom, access, and ownership which is a deeper, more profound way of addressing these immediate needs. Cause you can get socks somewhere else. You can get a sandwich somewhere else. Um, and a lot of those, so we still do all those kind of things, but the, like we, we run grocery distributions and things like that still, but like the, the bikes just felt like it, it addressed that deeper issue that gets a little more to the roots. Yeah. And that's the whole thing with all of it. I mean, I work for a bunch of nonprofits myself. I work for the American Cancer Society, Society, excuse me. I work for the United Way. I work for the Humane Society and a couple other places. And that is a key issue, especially when I work with the United Way and American Cancer Society is it's, it's getting everybody on an equal level. And it's even as simple as a cell phone. Like people see a homeless person and they have this idea of a homeless person like, no, that homeless person needs to have a banjo and he needs to live in that cardboard box and he needs to be a like the the homeless person I want him to be. He shouldn't have a cell phone. Well, he has to or she has to. Of course they need a cell phone because they can't can you know they they're not even equal. They're not even getting to that level that everyone else is at. Same thing with having a mailbox. Here in Santa Barbara, when you get here, you can apply immediately as a homeless person or a person in need of a home, uh you can apply immediately to get a PO box. It's free. Because they understand that to get job applications and things going you need an address and they help you to get that start there to do that. So that's a leveling up thing that I think is so important in any community. Yeah. We live in two very interesting places because we both are in places with a high homeless populations. And then we have societally arranged, very different relationships with them. Both, both of which I think are extremely unhealthy. Um, but are, are opposites in many ways. They're just neither one very good. Here in Santa Barbara, we're kind of a stop through because the home, the, the people who come through here who are looking for work, they don't come here for work. We're like kind of just a place they hang out for, for a period of time. They'll go on to Los Angeles, San Diego, or they'll go north to San Francisco because the opportunities are much more prevalent there 
than they are here. Even for me, like my, and I, I have a home, but I don't, my clients are not here in Santa Barbara. They're in Los Angeles and New York because that's where I do the business. So I understand that. But if you don't have that access, you're screwed. Yeah. And so, you know, this was something that for us was like, a. it was, you know, it's, it's, I'm not big on like talking like about solutions, but, um, it was an immediate way for us to like put in work to address, uh, a very real need to gain freedom and access. And it's been incredible what we've been able to see with folks. And it's not, I'm not going to act like it turns everyone's lives around. And some people will take it straight to the pawn shop so they can get a few bucks for it. It's like, look, you're, you're a grown person. You do what you want with it. But like, we've seen people start businesses. We've seen people visit family. We've seen, I mean, just, it's, it's incredible, like to put the tools in people's hands and allow them to be free and make decisions and then be responsible for those decisions. And um, yeah, I've just, I've, I've loved it. And I will say too, that beyond the like charitable service side, I was always doing just like, it was always just charitable service stuff uh, that what the well was doing. And this was our first or well, second really venture into like business, like social enterprise. And uh, man, I got a real taste for it. Like I really, I really dig it. I think it's a better way forward. Um, I think it's, you know, this cool hybrid between the for-profit nonprofit world. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of loving that, that mix. Were you a bike guy? No, not at all. I was a, I mean, honestly, I was like a homeless people guy. Like I was like, no, like my heart is with these neighbors that this economy is not working for. Now we needed to get bike guys. It's so funny because people, you know, I'm associated well with bikes. So people are like, Oh, the bike guys here. And I'm like, man, it's funny. Cause I'm still not exactly a bike guy. Like I'll go on the group ride and bikes are a phenomenal tool. I actually really, really believe in them. And they map to every one of our values in terms of like ecological impact, physical health, mental health, community, community engagement. Like it's, it's at every level a bike is, it maps to things we care about. Uh, but I still wouldn't say I'm much of a bike guy. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, maybe a more social enterprise guy, maybe a more, uh, uh, you know, justice or homeless folk guy. I'm, I'm like a solidarity guy. Uh, I'm a pragmatist though. And so, yeah, I'm a bike guy too. I mean, like, it pragmatically is the right tool. You also talk more about this for a second, because I want my audience to know this. Explain this process where people come in and can build their own bike with you. Well, you know, it's funny. That's not exactly the case. Okay. Um, that was the case. So when we first, when we first started, People had to build their own bike. It was just like, yeah, go figure it out. There's tools, there's broken bikes, go figure it out. Cause when we started, like I said, it was a shipping container behind a drop-in center. We just like, it was just anarchy. It was like, yeah, go out there. Let's just, you know, don't kill each other. Let's just figure this out. And then what ends up happening, like you asked if I'm a bike guy, it's like, well, eventually you need bike guys, like technicians, like right. mechanics. Right. And what, what we came to figure out was like most people shouldn't be working on bikes. Like you might be able to like adjust this, that like we could do some maintenance training in the end, but like to refurbish a bike, to rebuild a bike. Um, it was wildly, wildly inefficient to do this. And what we were learning was like to do this with someone, um, like, let's just say Chris, who's our head technician, he would end up like spending most of his time 
working with this guy that came in that maybe like, you know, isn't, isn't totally there mentally or what, whatever it was. It was like, you know what, actually we actually need Chris to just turn a wrench and no, and we need to defend him from being distracted for 10 seconds because he needs to turn bikes for the floor and for the earn a bike program. And by the way, we can create more meaningful engagement for folks that are coming in. So like we often will take them to uh, like our community garden that we have, we have a couple community gardens we run. So like we might do a work day and take them to work in the community garden, or we might take them to one of our food distributions to help out with a grocery distribution or sorting a pickup that came in. Um, we might have them stripping bikes or something like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. Cause a lot of people hear what we do and they go, Oh, they build their own bike. Um, and we, I don't think we wrote that anywhere ever, but it's like, Oh, that's what you do. You build a bike. Cause I know you earn a bike, uh, you come work and you do community service hours. And then in the end we do a safety training and a maintenance class. So your graduation is a little class where we go, okay, we're going to show you some basics like adjustment, adjusting brakes and kind of making sure your chain's good. Uh, and then, and then encouraging them like, Hey, come, you know, we, they earn their bike with like three months from now you're due for a free, uh, tune up, just come back. Plus it's a great way for us to follow up with them. And, uh, figure out like what the impact of this has been. Like, are you, are you still missing doctor's appointments or has that gotten better? Like how are you looking physically? Like it's really good to see people after a period of time on a bike. Cause it really makes a difference. And you're giving, I mean, not just skills, but confidence. Yeah. And you know what? So we do a, like a journal kind of, we do some like qualitative and quantitative feedback from folks. Um, we did a lot better before COVID, but it got a little, like we got lean with like some of the interactions. And so we don't have as much over the last few years, but we were having folks journal about their day. Um, like at the end of the day, like just give us your thoughts, feelings, and opinions about the day. What worked, what didn't work, what'd you like, what works for you with the program, what stood out to you. And, um, what we did was we compiled a ton of those, um, into a a database and kind of like did a content analysis of everybody's answers. Um, and a lot of stuff, there's themes that emerged out of that, but the one that was most meaningful to me was something like this sentence. So, so I'm assembling this sentence out of a lot of sentences, but it was something like it was very meaningful work for which I felt well compensated. And to me, that's just a home run. Like this is something that not just is like a skill, but, but it's meaningful. Sure. Like I'm engaged in a meaningful process, which, which to me is the far greater thing. Like, and we have often people come through and say, Hey, can I come back? Cause this is really good for me. This is really meditative to go through these, t- you know, spokes or tires. Um, and, and we'll have people come back and even help kind of teach and lead other folks then. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, what do you consider a success story? And it sounds like it's that success is another tricky one, like solutions. Um, I, 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 so just to be straight up, I, I'm resistant to things like that because I think that a lot of, um, burnout in work like this, what I observe people burning out, uh, is associated with like not seeing results or fruit or success or like change. And I'm like, uh, I think, uh, you can last when you're like, Oh, I, I, this is cause it's right and needed and good or whatever. Like I don't, nothing needs to happen on the flip side of this. However, to me, I would say that I, and this is not good for like a fundraising letter or something, but I I would say I probably measure success 
by relationship. So are we friends? Are you a brother or yep. sister? Yep. Um, so like, cause, cause to be honest, like, uh, you know, I could tell you a story of a guy that we, we had a guy got out of prison, um, came and worked with us. We actually brought him in as an intern. He worked with us for like a couple, like three month period. And at the end of this period, we were like, man, this is going great. We're going to hire him. We put him on paid staff for a season. Um, it was like, Oh, what a success story. But success stories, honestly, are always just point in time stories because on a long enough timeline, like the dude went back to prison and it's like, you know, it's like, and, and to me, I'm like, it's not like, did you go to prison or not go to prison? Are you on drugs or not on drugs? Are you mentally ill or not mentally ill? But are we connected as human beings? Are we friends? Do we love each other? Are we are we good for each other and support one another? And to me, that would be the measure of success, which doesn't, uh, it is not well set up to like go, Oh, I can tally that. Um, but I can sense it. I can intuit it. Like, like this went well. I love you. You know what I mean? That, that yeah, yeah. success looks like. Yeah. And also, I mean, it's it sh- to me, for me, su- part of success, the biggest part of success is showing up at all, just coming in and showing up. Yep, and and being open to what it is is the next thing. And also, I talk about this way too much on this show. Like, I am fascinated by the space time continuum, and that there is really only this moment we are in. And you can drive yourself crazy. Much like I've said this before on here, it's like when you start like thinking about breathing. As soon as you start thinking about breathing, you're like, oh my god, I got to take a breath. Oh, I got to let the breath out. But you're just doing it inherently because we're just inherently living in the moment that we're in. And that's really where we are right now. And we have the ability to go all these other places, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, et cetera. But we are just right here where we are right now. And that to me is, uh, maybe success isn't the right word, but the good. Yeah, no, that's a really good way to say it. And even the showing up piece that you said related to success reminded me of a, of a story about Mother Teresa, you know, that she was asked, like, you've been in Calcutta all these years and look around, it's still Calcutta. And she's like, yeah, I wasn't called to be successful. I was called to be faithful. And I've always loved that response, that story. Just like, it's like, yeah, no, I was called to be here, to be present to remain and to stay. And I love that. And, and I think you're right. I think, uh, like you said, a measure of success is actually showing up being present. Um, and, and there is something really rich and powerful about that. And I believe that the relationships that grow out of the work grow out of the work because of that presence that doesn't need a success story or a, a, a fundraising letter or something that, you know, it's like there, it, you're not a project, you're a neighbor. You know what I mean? You're a friend and a neighbor and you have to have, you happen to have this need, but you know what? I have a need too. Like I need friends like you to help me not be an idiot. I wouldn't have known what to do here if I didn't have these relationships. Like I come into these quite selfishly uh, as like, I I feel like the needy one here. Like there's so much wisdom and insight and experience and uh, that I, that I gain access to by going, Oh yeah. You want a sandwich or a bike or like, you know, it's like a, it's a pretty fair trade, a pretty reciprocal relationship, honestly. I'm thrilled to have conversations with people like you or anyone who comes on this show or anyone in general in in human life where we don't have to agree on everything. And you can say, oh, I hear what you're saying, but here's how I see it. And I fucking love that because that's, that's where I can go. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. I see that. I have a very interesting experience that I think is related to a lot of the work that I do. Um, when I was a lot younger, I had the opportunity to spend 
Um, it wasn't very long. It was probably like a week and a half in the, um, in Metro Manila, uh, Philippines. And, uh, I actually connected with a group there called like, I forget what they were called. Actually, they're called MMP. So I don't remember what that stood for Metro Manila, some whatever. So, but I got, they put me with a host family in these slums that we stayed with. So I, I stayed in this uh, household, this in the slum. And then we did some work through the day, whatever. And, um, it was cool. It was a really cool experience. Um, but what I remember the most, cause okay, I'll just say like, it was just ob- observation. Um, it's there, there's open sewage. This is, uh, I mean, unbelievably poor place. Um, and most of what they're using, um, like for let's say awnings or shovels or whatever are, you know, things that would come out of our trash, like their banners right. and their, their two liter bottles that are cut up or whatever. And, and I had, and I'm not, I've never been really good with feelings, like identifying my feelings. Right. Uh, they all are just anger. So I, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, but I had this real sense while I was there. Like I have a, I have a strong feeling. Um, but I don't know what it is. And, and, and what I realized, and it's really interesting because when I looked around at everyone, I was like, comparatively, like what you were talking about the running water. Cause we're, you know, we're showering with like, we have this barrel of water, we're pouring it over our head. Like mm-hmm. it's just, and, and I'm going, we, I have every, in comparison, poor college student or not, whatever. I have everything materially in comparison with these folks. Um, and as I thought about like, what is this feeling? The answer was jealousy. And, and I have come to think of what I found there as the wealth of the poor. Um, and I've been jealous of it and pursuing it. I think for the, for my entire life since then, it it completely wrecked me because I'd never seen joy. Like I saw in the slums of Manila, I had never seen, um, industriousness. Like I saw in the slums of Manila, I never saw community and like a communitarian spirit. Like I saw in Manila, I had never seen such innovative use of resources that we would just consider garbage, but they declared their value by their usefulness. And I was, I felt impoverished, uh, in contrast with them. And what I realized was, Oh, that's actually true. Like we have material wealth, but they had something maybe more akin to like a spiritual wealth or a communal wealth or a social security where something that was completely foreign to me. And when I moved home, I immediately tried to talk a bunch of people into moving into the same house and living in a poor neighborhood and, and shutting off our water heater. Like I was like, I want to recreate what they had. Like, I want to start growing our food. And we did yeah. like for years, we lived in a little commune here in the city. And that's where a lot of this work, actually, the, the nonprofit actually grew out of the house. Eventually we have a lot of options. We have a lot of freedoms, but they also kind of become a sort of captivity. We become addicted to safety and security and comfort and it, and, and, and we keep overwhelmingly concerned with things like liability and they keep us from doing what's right and caring about what's important. And, and, and it's, it's baffling, but we're, we're, we're lost in it. And, um, it's, a, it's alarming really. And even just processing it now, I'm like, yeah, it's bringing that memory back, that conviction back. But I think I've been chasing that ever since. 
Well, it's a weird thing because we we are lost in it because we're chasing the next thing and everything seems so disposable, right? Even down to when I witness and, you know, I work with the Humane Society, I work with the animal shelter in Palm Springs for mm-hmm. a very long time and I watch people just bring their dog and we're moving so he yep. can't come with us. The fuck are you talking about? That's your, I got three dogs and a cat. Like they're not, they go, they are mine. They, I'm not. I'm not going on vacation and be like, well, I don't want you anymore. I got to gonna just give you away. But that disposable thing, and it's almost like a like something that's turned off. And that's interesting what your experience was when you went to the Philippines and you noticed that it had been turned off almost. You know what you're getting at, and it's cool that you brought up the animal thing because you're getting right at something that I think is like a deep uh, philosophical point, which is like what is waste and what is value? Right. So waste is something we don't consider valuable, but like just take a very simple thing like an apple core when you finish eating your apple. A lot of times that goes into a garbage can, into a plastic bag, into I don't know how you guys do it, but here a landfill is like an incinerator here. Right. It turns into we have a waste to energy plant or something like that. But like uh, that also could have gone in your garden and is filled with nutrient that could produce life and seeds and whatever. And there's actually something about like, it's only waste because we waste it because we don't have eyes to see its value. And I actually think that's exactly what's happening with the homeless and the working poor. Like there actually is a very real wealth and wisdom there, but because we don't have like the eyes to see it, uh, we consider and we treat folks like they are waste, like they are valueless um, because we've we've moved from a society with values to a society that just seems seems to value value. Like, do you have dollars in your pocket? Um, and if you and have status, dollars in your pocket, and status, you have do you something have to say. Well, th- and those are similarly the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 And it's like d- that's what makes you valuable. And if you run out of money and you run out of friends, well, then you are without worth. Well, I will make you very happy. Let me jump in here for one quick second because we did a show with a woman named Michelle Yan, composting queen of uh, of uh, Santa Cruz, my old friend. I have a composter. City of Santa Barbara, you get one fifty percent off if you go to the dump and show them where you live. I got a composter outside. It looks like a robot. That's awesome. I'm obsessed with composting. I started doing this back in I want to say November, and my composter. I give compost away to my neighbors. I give compost away to other friends. I convinced a friend of ours to go get her own, and she has one in her yard. But the amazing thing is, all that waste you talk about, I'm not throwing out garbage anymore. I Do you know that our co- – like I've talked about this before. Our coffee grinds and the coffee filter go right in that damn thing. Of course. And I go down the block. There's a house uh, a block and a half away. It's got all these trees in the front. There are giant piles of leaves. I just take all his leaves all the time. And I've met the owner before and he laughs. So he stopped me one time. He's like, why are you always out here taking the leaves? It's out. It's not on his property. It's on the other because side. I, of the I need brown, dude. That's what I said. <laughs> I go, I need brown. I need two, three parts brown and one part, you know, green and, yeah, and, yeah. and shells and all that shit. But it is true. And it is this, and I'm obsessed with it now. And I talk about it way too much, but it's so simple and we put everything into our trees and our yard and our plants in our yard and they are flourishing because we're just creating that cycle, that, that circle of life. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool how it works that way. Now on another note completely, you have a podcast called the work ethic. You've been doing it since July of 2019. Tell everybody what that is about. 
Yeah. So I mentioned earlier, like I have this thing about work. Like I just think, I think we have really, um, I think we have come to have a strange relationship to work and that maybe grows out of working with people that don't have employment. Um, and I go, why aren't you working? And they're like, what are you talking about? No one's hiring. And I'm like, what does that have to do with working? Like you can work on something. You can work on a project. You can work on that. We can work together and grow some food in the garden. Like you need to work. Like you need to work like you need to eat. You need meaningful, hard work. And I believe like humans need it. And I think we're, and I watch people deteriorate without it. And so I, I actually led a, a summer school class, was like an adult summer school class that I led called Developing a Philosophy of Work. And over this eight-week class, I realized that this might be my favorite thing ever to talk about, but there's no way I can keep writing material, right? It's just like, okay, that's what like, – I, I took this about as far as I can. I got other work to do. I got things to get about doing after the class. So I lost my excuse from the class. And so the podcast was a way for me to scratch my own itch um, and continue to talk about work by turning my thoughts into questions and going, well, why don't you tell me about your relationship with work? And like, like literally the last show I had, I had like a drug dealer on, like, let's talk about hustle. Like, tell me about that. Like I, I talk, I want to talk to entrepreneurs and drug dealers and janitors and like, like athletes and artists. Like I want to talk to everybody because everybody is working on things, whether they're employed or not. And I think it's a really important time for us to reorient our relationship to work because, uh, well, as, as the way, as things get more and more automated, uh, there will be more and more humans need not apply type things going on with, uh, the job market. And so a lot of you are going to be unemployable or not needed for so many things like the cashier jobs and all drivers and all of these different things that are just going to be gone in a very short amount of time. And if, if I'm right and, and, and what I see with the homeless, because our society equates work with employment. And I think that's a deadly poison because when we are no longer employed, we're going to lose our relationship to work because we think they're the same thing. And I watch that destroy people. I watch it cause mental illness and I watch it people waste away because they don't pick up heavy things and do hard things for, 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 to accomplish goals. And I just think, man, we got to get our heads right around the topic of work. And I'm just fascinated with it. Like, I want to know what everybody thinks about, like, what are you working on? Why are you working on it? What triggers flow state? What's your, how would you define success? What's your earliest memories of work? We're like with mom and dad, like how did that word take on meaning in your life? Those are the kinds of things I ask people super long form. I just go long and let people tell their stories and it's awesome. We close these shows with three questions. Don't panic. You know, the answers are super easy. Question number one is where can people find you and your company and where can they follow you socially online and such? If you want to share, go share away. Yeah. So Webboat Bikes is just at Webboat Bikes um, on socials, most active on um, Instagram and Facebook. And then me personally, um, I go by Johnny Produce on socials. So J-O-H-N-N-Y-P-R-O-D-U-C-E. Um, and yeah, you can hit me up there. We close the shows as well with two more questions. This can go back to anything we talked about or anything you want to say. First question is who inspires you? So there, I'm going to name a couple people. Um, I mean, I will say like the folks that I work with, uh, on the folks on the streets here in Tampa really inspire me because they work hard 
just to stay alive out here. Um, but then there are, I mentioned mother Teresa earlier. She's a hero of mine. Um, mainly I really look up to her after that, like her, her journals came out after her death and like the darkness that she dealt with and the work that she did and that the tension between those things really inspires me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer from Nazi Germany, uh, who was a pacifist, but also tried to assassinate Hitler because how could you not? And that dude's paradoxical, uh, relationship with kind of ethics and, uh, and realizing that to keep his own hands clean was something he wasn't willing to do because of like the, the nature of the demands of the situation. And then, uh, I would say probably because I'm mentioning those two people to be fair to those two people and who inspired their lives. Uh, I, the story and life and teachings of Jesus who also was the inspiration to those two and, um, and is a huge part of my own kind of journey and walk. And the final thing we always go out with, it's not a question. It's just a statement. You can finish it any way you want. Tell me something good. Man, I mean, we get to do this. Like, like it, everything's good, man. Like, it's it's just good that we're here and alert and awake, and we have most of us have ability to. All of us have some ability to contribute and to build and to do meaningful work. And I think when we take responsibility for the situation around us in our own city and our own household and whatever, we find deep meaning in life. And uh, I just think that's really good news. Thank you, John, for sharing your good. Check out wellbuilt.city for more on all they're doing and see if it sparks you to get moving on investing in your own city, town, and community. Next time on World Gone Good. My goal is always just to follow the story wherever it takes me and explore as many possibilities as I can, you know, conceive of and to just go down every trail. What's good about a good crime? Hey, wait a minute. I thought this show was about good things. It is. It is. Stick with me here. Reporter Claire Sonoma has worked for 60 minutes and 48 hours, and we have a good conversation about America and the world's obsession with crime stories what we can learn from it all, and how it helps families deal with loss. She is a producer and a host of her own crime podcast, Final Days on Earth, so she's definitely got the goods. It would be criminal, see what I did there, for you to miss our next all-new episode. Until then, be good. Be good.